Welcome to this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast where we focus on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anyone else that is willing to talk to me. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any pad- podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, please reach out to me and let me know, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube, so tune into my Instagram page where you'll get more details when those happen. Um, you can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. Uh, it's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. This afternoon, this morning, whatever your time zone happens to be, um, I have the folks from Blind Barrels, a subscription service, joining me, and specifically it's Bobby. So, uh, Bobby, I'll give you the opportunity to kind of let us know who you are and, and what you're about. Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, hey, guys. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. Uh, I see you as more than one person. That's okay. Um, yeah, we're on here to talk about Blind Barrels. This is a blind whiskey tasting subscription. You know, I think what a lot of people don't understand about what's in this box, um, besides just amazing whiskey, is this is whiskey that you literally can't buy or try in any other way. I was actually looking up the three sample, three of the four samples in our first lineup in the March box that went out. And I was like, let me just go see if I can try to buy these in some other way. And I couldn't buy them. Um, I couldn't even get them shipped to my house. Um, so it's what's special about this is this is the best American craft whiskey that you can't get. There's 3,000 whiskey distillers throughout the country. And the distribution model kind of puts a stranglehold. You know, there's not 3,000 spaces on the liquor stores that total wine and BevMo. There's maybe 100, 200 brands that are there. So what happens is there's really a three-tier situation. You know, some people say prohibition never really ended. Because what happened was once prohibition ended, there are the producers, which is the distilleries. It passes through a distributor, and then it lands at a retail element, which is what we are. Um, to be able to then pass to the consumer. Now, what happens is a lot of these brands are in the catalog of a distributor, and there's like seven of them that are massive, and there's these huge catalogs, and they get lost in that catalog. And really, it's almost like you got to pay the boots on the ground guys, that the salesmen that have relationships with the liquor stores, just to get that shelf space. And let's just say you get that shelf space. If they're not pushing it and people aren't trying it and then buying it, fall in love with it, then these distilleries have to pay the FOB and all the costs to get their product back. And a pallet could be 50 cases and it can actually crush distilleries that are just startups that are growing. Um, So we blind taste everything before they're in our lineup. A lot of people think, can somebody buy their way in your lineup? No, we go through to get the first 16 samples that are in the first total boxes of the four boxes our first year. We tried over 150 different whiskeys. And I'd love to say that everybody in craft is making some amazing stuff. But the, the reality is two-thirds of it's a little bit too weird or it's not very good because they're just starting out. But there's some amazing whiskey out there that I think blows the door off of uh, some of the tater favorites that are out there. Um, we had in our lineup Corbin Cash in our first lineup, and we did a blind tasting with eight, and it beat Old Carter <laughs> Bourbon um, in the lineup um, in a blind tasting to just kind of show you how strong some of this whiskey is. Um, so we're not, no one can buy their way into our lineup. We literally blind taste everything. And, and that's what this experience is. It took a while to figure out how to legally do this um, so that, you know, our, our bottles that have our branding on, it says samples A, B, C, and D on it. Um, and what happens is once you go through the experience, you try the whiskey, um, there's a reveal, there's a QR code um, on the other side of this table, um, the tasting table. And uh, it tells you the mash bill, the location, the history, the distillery. If you want to buy a bottle of it, 
Um, you can. Some of them, there's a limited amount. Like we're doing a barrel pick in June, and there's only X number of cases available of that particular um you know, whiskey. And so some of it, it, there's limited run, a lot of the stuff you can't get. Um, so if you want to discover some brands and, you know, have things that your friends can't have and fall in love with a couple of these small brands that are doing some amazing things, this is what Blind Barrels is all about. Showcasing these small town farmers and distillers that are growing their own grain, they're mashing it, they're milling it, they're distilling it with love, and they're making some amazing handmade products. That's awesome. And I've been long a proponent of one of two things is sort of the future of whiskey in north america it's either and they're, they're i guess sort of tied to each other it's either craft distilleries or and or american single malt because those are places where you can explore new flavor profiles do new things and a lot of your american single malt is craft right there's not a ton of people who are doing that um it's at growing. A, a higher than craft level it is it's it, in its exciting uh segment that exists um, you mentioned on here, you know, you're basically creating virtual shelf space for craft distillers to increase their reach and their ability to, to, um, grab new market, which is amazing. That's, that's fantastic. Um, and you know, you said 150 whiskeys, two thirds of which are going to be too weird or too young. And so you've got your 16 for 2022 that you've picked out. And I think that's what you said. Um, if well, you taste, like too young is kind of a weird dynamic right because right um, some some of these distillers are aging them in smaller barrels mm -hmm. um now some of the people from the old guard don't like that obviously there's rapid maturation which we're not having anyone in our lineup that's doing that because that maybe is a little bit goes against the actual barrel creating the flavors and things like that mm -hmm. um but you know we we had a two-year in our first lineup that um was everybody loved um mm -hmm. and it was really easy and um, yeah, you can get a little bit more of that grain than the wood when you're tasting something that's younger. But we're, we're also trying to dispel the myth that, oh, it has to be aged 12 years. It has to be. Right. Now, that being said, we do have a 16-year um, barrel pick rye uh, finished in a Weller barrel in our June lineup that is insanely good. Um, so uh, it, it, I'll tell you, every lineup that we're doing is getting better and better and better. Um mm -hmm. March was March was great. June is is a hundred percent a banger, um, and there's some stuff in there that yeah, there's there's still going to be some two and three years. I don't know if we're going to do White Dog at some point. We might do it as an educational component and do something that's unaged. Um, you know, there there actually is some White Dog out there that's really good um, when you look at um, the way that they're doing their yeast strain and different things like that. Um, Wilderness Creek's a great example of that. Doctor Pat. You know, he went from doing like a few hundred barrels to doing like five million or something. Yeah. But like the guy who's building Rick houses, you know, actually building barrels because he has a lab that he creates all these yeast strains in. Yep. So we never had to really debt finance anything. Um, you know, he was able to do it because he had this other business model. But if you go mm -hmm. to Wilderness Trail and you 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 try some of their unaged whiskey, it's really good. You know, <laughs> so we yeah, we like no, you, you're exactly right. And I guess whenever I said uh, too young, and you're you're exactly right, too young has a connotation. Some people, it's got to be four years, got to be five years, got to be seven years, whatever the number is. Right. Um, and and when I, whenever I say too young, it's meaning too young for that particular bottle itself, right? And so mm -hmm. I don't have that kind of a palate, but educated folks can be like, this feels like this is too young for this for particular one, and too young could be it's six months instead of a year. And mm -hmm. um, I've, I've leaned on the 
it's not rapid aging. It's just different aging. Whether they use a smaller barrel, they use a different thing. They're just doing something inherently different than what everyone else in bourbon might be doing because, you know, a lot of it's aged here in, in, in Kentucky or in some parts of Tennessee or in some parts of Indiana where the climate is very, very, very similar. But you send the same thing to Texas, you send the same thing to Los, to Nevada, you send it to um, Washington, you're going to get very different aging techniques. And totally. that that's what that is. But um, some of these, you know, that you're indicating this two thirds that are not quite ready for what you guys want to do. Um, is there an intent to revisit some of those brands the next year and the next year as they kind of grow in maturity as a craft distillery? There are. I mean, one of the, the, the funnest and the hardest things to do in this lineup besides trying whiskey uh, is sometimes you meet distillers that are just really good people. Mm -hmm. And I fall in love with the whiskey and I got my whiskey wizards that are objectively looking at this. Like I literally just talking to the guy that owned this distillery yesterday. I got the samples Friday and normally it takes a few weeks for me to create all these blind tastings and all these other things with these lineups for these guys. And he, you know, the guy's chomping at the bit to find out. And I finally... At 10 o'clock last night, my main whiskey guy, he had eight samples. And all, some of them, one of them was the collaboration with Dickel. I mean, all these interesting things that were in the lineup. And he put the one of the head distill that I was talking about at number one. And which I honestly thought it was good. And it was their flagship. And and I was just really happy about that. But sometimes you meet a distiller that you just love these. The, the, you know, I talked to this one uh, woman who's just a phenomenal person. And... Um, <laughs> some of the stuff on their bottles that didn't say whiskey. And so we're like, well, what is this? And it's like, the reason it doesn't say whiskey on it, there's, you know, we start kind of being a detective and looking at the fine print and seeing like, what is the thing and the nomenclature that they're using uh, to push into what it is. Um, and yeah, I do want to revisit them at some point because we like them enough. We know that they're growing and they're learning fast. Um, mm -hmm. And then sometimes you get somebody that they're in craft and, um, and you like their whiskey, but you don't like the people. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> and then yep. you're kind of working with that. Um, so there's, yeah, there's some of the craft there. folks are like in a in a swap game where they're creating a brand to sell it, and you know that's that's a market strategy that some people have. But do they have an attachment to what they're making? And you know, oh. I have a high degree of affinity for distillers who are making with passion instead of uh, making with the intent to sell. I mean, there's profitability always. Like I want them to make as much money as they can, and that's a concern. But when it becomes a a, a test tube creation. I don't know. I, I just don't have the same sort of connection with it. Yeah. I mean, we got these, there's, there's these two guys that um, are in our June lineup. I won't say who they are, um, but, and they're, they're growing craft brand. They're becoming really well known. And these are just amazing dudes. Like, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'll tell you middle West, they were in our first lineup. Um, very few people have heard of middle West. They actually are the, the source for horse soldier. Um, mm -hmm. You know, out in St. Petersburg, Florida, but in Columbus, Ohio, there's a brand called Middle West that was in our first lineup. I got to tell you, everything that we try to theirs is amazing. Um, it was probably one of the biggest responses in the first lineup of just un an unknown, like what the hell is this? Um, it was this pumpernickel rye. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we uh, it was this pumpernickel rye. They they do weed and finish. They do all this other stuff. But whenever you talk to those guys, I mean, they're just great, like Midwest people that. You know, it's like it's almost like you're talking to your your friend in the middle of the night, and you're playing with the foreign code and foreign phone yep. cord. Like, no, you hang up first. No, you, no, you hang up. I didn't hang. You didn't hang up. No, but there's mm -hmm. 
not that weird. But uh, there's there's a great rapport when you have like these great distillers that you love them and you love their product and you can't wait to just showcase their product. And if somebody goes and finds their bottle in another way, visits the distillery, like do all of that. Um, in fact, we price our full bottles. We don't do this big upsell. We, we create a cap on our shipping cost. Shipping alcohol sucks, by the way. Um, super <laughs> Right. It's like it's really. I live annoying. in Kentucky. It's one of the most regressive shipping states when it comes to alcohol there is, and we make some of well, the, some of the largest quantities of bourbon, and oh. I can't get it shipped to me half the time. So, no, well, at least they completely. opened up all the laws. You, you know, Kentucky is paving the way for direct to consumer laws right now. Um, you know, yeah, they're they're working on it, but that three tier. Some folks they're, are fighting. They're going to work. They're going to work through it because at the end of the day, the the Venn diagram um, that the liberals and conservatives agree on. Or say they do um, is supporting small businesses. So right. the wine industry did it in California. The wine industry lobbied hard to create direct to consumers. So these wine companies can ship direct to the consumer in a lot of capacities, right? And, mm-hmm. and there are some state limitations for that. But Kentucky can now ship throughout the state. Um, there, there's some reciprocity with some of the states that they ship to, but not the same. They kind of can do a lot of cool stuff now. Um, yeah. DC is actually the loophole. Um, you can sh- Washington DC. You can ship yep. anywhere from there. Um, we thought about like moving there, but I'm like, oh, I got to uproot the family, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, and no, I've got a few, a few of the retailers that I've, I purchased stuff from. They're all hubbed out of DC, and that's where they ship from. So it makes their, and I assume at that point they're probably just a warehouse where they're relaying stuff. But you know, it works, and it, and it, and it's it's a functional component of getting it out there, you know, and the state of Kentucky wants to protect the Kentucky distilleries. And so whenever you start talking about, Oh, well, we got somebody from Virginia that wants to ship direct to consumer in Kentucky. That's when they start kind of throwing their hands up. And we did the same thing with the wine industry in this state, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you couldn't get anything shipped into Kentucky and then a wine kind of led the front. Like we want to be able to ship, you know, like if I go out to Napa, I want to ship back a case and legally I'm not supposed to, right? Like legally it's against the law. And um, so, so things are, things are changing over time. Um, You you made a statement a a few minutes ago that you might in the future, I add white dog as an educational component. Um, And that's, so I, Talk a little bit about your educational component because uh, I had an opportunity to watch through some of your videos and um, see sort of how you're structuring this offer. And I think it's valuable to anyone, regardless of what level of like whiskey nerd you're at, whether you're a beginner or not. But just kind of give me the idea of what that education component looks like. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm honestly um, barely out of the novice stage myself in the sense that I, I went from being a drinker to a taster two years ago. Um, and I started learning cause I had, I had done blind tastings with wine before and, oh, like, let's get the gargle with the air and the right, whatever, you know, and like, oh, I'm getting oleander. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Um, but there's like this, this whole component to, there's a snobbery to it. Right. And I just loved letting my senses tell me what it is before, um, a brand does. We've all bought that bottle before that somebody liked and then you hated, and then you try to like for other people so you don't have to drink it yourself uh and so like on our site we have a master class if you click on master class on our site yeah you know you can watch that for free um that tells you not just the tasting elements um the aroma 
palette, the color, you know, the finish, the really the four kind of components that go into the tasting. Uh, but we have one about Mashville. We have one about the history of whiskey, um, some about nomenclature. Um, and I know a lot about those things because I shot all of that. <laughs> so my backdrop is I'm a filmmaker. I've made documentaries. Uh, I made one about college athletes' rights called The Business of Amateurs. Uh, we utilized elements of that film to pass um, student-athletes' rights for name and likeness in uh, 12 states. And we got in front of the Supreme Court last year. And now college athletes can make money from their name and likeness. So um, I was a part of the zeitgeist for that. So um, I know a lot about what I know generally stems from where, what I shot of the master class and then, you know, edited it together and went through all that footage. Um, I'd say I know more about liquor laws, uh, <laughs> having gone through the fire of trying to figure out this model. Um, but we, I, I love the educational component. I mean, whis- whiskey history is cool. I mean, we mm-hmm. you basically Celtic monks that were visiting Arabia where they were distilling perfume, right? And and all these different people that voyaged out there. So the Italians went back and made, you know, uh, you know, grappa, or, uh, you know, yep. or, you know the the Irish went back obviously, and they made whiskey. And the Scots went back and they made Scotch because you know the Irish were growing rye and the Scots were growing barley. And, and then you know America. When the colonists were up on the East Coast, they weren't in Kentucky yet. Manifest <laughs> Destiny hadn't moved west yet, right? So America's uh, beverage or what was it? America's alcohol is bourbon, right? Like the but the right. But, the but historically, that is inaccurate. The spirit is rye. Yeah, um, it wasn't until they they started moving west until that happened, and then you get into the late you know nineteenth um, century or uh, where where th- like there was as many distilleries. There was a distillery in every town. We're in the second boom right now. And the, and the 20th century kind of killed it because you had, well, you had World War One, and then you had Prohibition, and then you had World War Two, mm-hmm. and then everyone's, you know, their tastes changed, right? So like the Mad Men era of the Gimlets and Martini and, and, and Clear Spirits. And it was, you know, I didn't know this, but I mean, until I learned that the Japanese were really kind of the, a bit of the savior in a certain yeah, you, there was also they, kind of the crap. Yeah, they kept bourbon afloat whenever we weren't buying bourbon. Like the Japanese, they love American yeah. cola. They love Levi's jeans, and they love themselves mm-hmm. American bourbon. You know, yep. bourbon doesn't have to be just made in Kentucky. It has to be American, though, right? And so, and they get a huge allotment of the pappy <laughs> because yep. of that. You know, they made a deal early on, and and I mean, come on, like when you're looking at old granddad, 1992. I mean, it was like a twelve dollar bottle. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. Yeah. There, there's a ton of stuff out there that like if I if I had converted my uh, 401k over in say uh 2001 or 2 to uh bourbon, I could be retired by now. Like because Oh, easily. Yeah, you could have just exactly. You could be Mr. Allotment, right? And you could yeah. just like and then, and every now and again you get an old granddad and tab and keep it real, right? Mm-hmm. And and mix it up and go against yep. what everybody doesn't want you to do. Um, but absolutely, I mean, there's all these different components of what's happened that's led to this other boom. And yeah, the foodie elements done that, um, the artisanal movements done that, uh, and and just the demand, you know, has still hasn't superseded the, the supply. And even the the commercial sourcing of like the MGP, you know, all that's really fascinating to me too. Because some people want to say, well, MGP, that's a bad thing, and it's like, well, do you like Widow Jane and Nulu? Because right. Penelope and I mean because I like all those brands I think there yeah. are master blenders out there um, and you you do have to give a tip of the hat um, you know it was the Seagram's building when multi-grain product bought them out they had all this source of whiskey they really saved the whiskey industry in a certain capacity too there was a lot of savers that came into play that led to where we are now um, and this finer appreciation for uh, for the spirit 
And um, yes, I'm, you know, I'm like you where I can't, um, I can pick out the youngness a little bit now, now that I've been tasting a lot. Um, I can't, I can't go, oh, is that, is that candied marzipan? I'm not like, you know, (laughs) my tasting wheel is not the same. You know, I'm more like, oh, this reminds me of that date I had in 10th grade where that girl almost let me get that. And where'd you go on that date? Oh, I was in an ice cream shop. Oh, that's waffle cone. That's, you know, like I have a memory usually tied to it. Um, that's exactly where I land on it, and, I, and I'll I'll be I'll be honest about it. Um, boxes like this point out how bad I really am at tasting, right? So I'm I'm not I'm I'm not the guy that can pick notes out or, um, to some degree, you know, youngness or oldness. Like I mean, oldness I guess because a lot of times old is over oaked, but um, most of the 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 way that I talk about whiskey is explicitly based off of memory. It's a, a tying it back to a particular thing that happened in my life, you know, at some moment, you know, and that's. I think the attraction of brown spirits, I'm reading a book that a, a lady wrote that talks about her journey through scotch and a lot of her um, discussion of notes is based off of just just pure memories, you know, like, and then that's I, I don't have any really strong fond memories that I can attach back to vodka. I have some strong memories. They're not necessarily fond, <laughs> right? Or lots of memories. Um, exactly. Right. There was a college a period. Box. Somebody once asked me, are you going to do a vodka box? I'm like, you know, down the road, we'd like to get the tequila because tequila is super fascinating. And yep. tequila, agave, like all cactus spirits, um, you know, there's a big category there. Um, the Cristalinos and all that. Um, you know, gin is really interesting in terms of what they can do with expressions. Um, you know, we are blind barrels. We could, I guess, do beer and wine at some point if we wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. We were going to do whiskey and tequila right off the bat, but it was going to split our marketing spend and, the energy of what it takes to create a lineup is a, is a lot. Um, right. You know, you're, you're not just talking and trying to samples. Um, I can't get into the legal elements of what we have to do to make this possible. Cause when I was first exploring this, my buddy was doing blind whiskey tastings when quarantine started a couple years ago, I called him in the middle of the night after a long tasting. And I was like, dude, this is a business. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, dude, this is the thing. I'm going to figure it out. And uh, I was like, either this isn't allowed or, um, it's maybe it's just complicated and then it turns out it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you can call any attorney just so you know, if someone's going through um, finance issues or they want to set up a trust or um, they're going through divorce or whatever that is, you can get a free hour long consultation with most attorneys. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I did 16 of those with ABC alcohol beverage control attorneys. And the first six were like, cause I'm like, I want to pour samples in the bottles. And like, you can't do any of that. Nope. <laughs> like that's a no. Yeah. It's not allowed. Can't do it. I went, okay. And then I talked to one and she's like, well, you know what you could do? You could do this. Mm-hmm. And it didn't solve all the problems, but it created an entry point, right? So I then took that into the next meeting. I'm like, okay, what if we do this? And they're like, well, and then we kind of like we kind of inched our way there. Um, and then even, you know, we, when we raised the money, we had to create the brand. Because in order to, it's not just so much to solve the problems. I mean, just to get a liquor license is a difficult process with city, county, state. There's a lot of red tape and you gotta, you gotta do meetings in front of city hall and I gotta get my skinny town. Like I'm Kevin Bacon trying to get the right to dance at my prom, Um, (laughs) you know, trying to convince everybody, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, there's all these hoops you have to jump through. And uh, yes, there's a reason nobody's done this before. Uh, It's, it's not an easy process, but um, I do love 
starting something. I love the idea of breathing life into something. It gets me excited uh, every day. And to, to get to showcase these brands is really just it's so much fun because when someone that you know that knows whiskey and knows a lot of brands that can tell you all of them, and you throw a couple of them that they've never heard of and they've never tried, and they're blown mm-hmm. away by it, that's a pretty awesome just experience in general. Yeah. No. That, I mean, the, the sort of echoes, I had a conversation with uh, Ari Sussman who works with three cord and mammoth and a handful of others. Um, and he's, you know, like whiskey people just tend to do hard things. Like that's the, the job in this industry, whether you're a distiller or a blender or doing what you're doing, um, you just sort of, you know, decide you're going to do a hard thing and then you figure out how to make it happen. Um, I'm always sort of amazed at the, the, the wild audacity that everybody has whenever they start out. They're like, I have an idea and I'm going to make it go. And, you know, if you sat down and just kind of evaluated from the beginning how hard and virtually impossible it is, you might never start, but you just sort of start. Like, that's what everybody I've talked to, at least at the craft level, they just sort of started. And once they got far enough down the path, they're like, well, I've already started. I'm not going to give up now. I'm going to keep going until we find whatever the solution needs to be to make this thing become uh, a, a reality. Um, but like, do, do you find it hard having these conversations? Cause like I can talk about the people that I've talked to in the last few months because it doesn't really matter, but like the conversations you're having with distillers, if you're like, Oh, I talked to so-and-so is, is that going to pull back the curtain on the next, you know, blind barrels box, right? Like, do you have to like avoid having those? I talked to this person conversations. You know, it's a good question because, um, sometimes I use it to entice them because mm-hmm. if I'm talking to a distiller, and I say, hey, in the upcoming lineup, we've got this is an example of who's going to be in our lineup. This is who was in our lineup, which isn't as much a reveal. I've revealed some of that, you know, now um, it, for them to understand what we're doing. I don't think that this distiller is going to make a post and be like, this is what's in their June lineup. I don't feel like I need to send a, a, a confidentiality agreement. Like the NDA. Over. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm like, before. I just told you a bunch of things. Um, yeah, sometimes, you know, they, you, I do have to let them in on trade secrets, obviously, in order mm-hmm. to make the process work. Uh, I'm not sending NDAs for that, too, because um, even if even if I told somebody how we do what we do, um, you're going to be a year and a half away from being able to pull it off. Um, so we got a little bit of a head start there. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, somebody could go figure this out. Um, and, and you're going to I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to you're going to cry in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. There's going to be some, there's going to be some ulcers. There's going to be assorted things. Um, you know, I've seen a, a handful of other subscription boxes on the market. I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but from what you can, I've you can seen, name names. I don't mind naming names. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I'm just I'm trying to be a little bit respectful. I don't want to sound this feels like the most well thought out and well put together version of it so far that I've seen. And, you know, you already right. indicated anybody else that comes along is going to be a year and a half behind. Um, I, without giving away the future, like I assume there's a there's a path to like how you're going to continue to make yourself better, so no one can kind of take that year and a half and come out with something that's you know three steps ahead of you or anything. Yeah, I mean we're 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 constantly evolving. Um, yeah, I mean there, there's I'll, I'll tell you talking to all these brands was difficult because when we didn't have a site and we didn't have a logo or we didn't have there were certain things that I mean the, one of the first things I did was to create the branding and the logo and get the monkey mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we wanted to have something that felt cool. Like I wear my shirt all the time, not because it's my company and I wear the monkey right. hat. I, I love like wearing this stuff because I, I like our brand. Uh, 
And so creating that and sending them all that is great. But when you don't have a site, there's a, this element of trust that has to come into play. Um, so we have a lot of respect for the distillers we talked to before we were a brand. We do have a lot of distillers reaching out to us now. Um, you know, the gentleman I said that I talked to on the phone yesterday was somebody that reached out to us. And, um, and I was hoping that it was good and it's good, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but sometimes you get something weird and it's not good, but yes, we're constantly moving, we're shifting, we're growing. Um, and we're trying to make every lineup beat the previous lineup. Now I think at some, t- at some point we'll, we'll plateau, um, you know, doing a barrel pick was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. you know, getting to try a bunch of samples. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wish I could show you my shelf that I'm looking at right now <laughs> that has just, I mean, literally hundreds of bottles on it. And there, I think there's this romanticized element when you're in a, when you're a quote unquote sexy industry, you know, like, oh, filmmaking. And so isn't that great? And it's like, yeah, all right. Imagine you got to shoot 200 hours on hard days and talk right. to widows and they're crying and you're it, having, it's, well, it's sexy you know, on the output, right? Like it's, it's those things that, you know, there are people that go through experiences, you know, let's just say making a movie, you get to the end, you get, you go to the premiere and you see the final output and it makes all of those moments that you had before worth it, but those still suck. But nobody, nobody besides the group of people who went through that sees that they see the sexy output. They see the, the bottle, they see the packaging, they see the, the, the fruits of your labor. They don't see the, you know, we're really close to not having any money left or we've got oh. to work, you know, 20 hours a day for these next nine days to get what we need done. You know? Oh, yeah. I could tell a million more stories about making films, but it is that someone was asking, like, when was the last time you watched your documentary? I'm like, dude, it's been a few years. They're like, really? And I'm like, I had to watch it like 4000 <laughs> times just to get it made, just just making it. And then mm-hmm. the 100 other screenings and I still screen at universities throughout the year and all this other stuff. Right. Yep. And, um, and, and yeah, I still enjoy it to a degree, but there's this element of, uh, whereas I'm not at that stage with this yet. And I hope I never will mm-hmm. because every lineup is different. We're constantly growing. Every distiller is completely different, but I'll tell you, making custom packaging sucks. Making custom bottles sucks. Making custom right. caps to fit on these bottles, dealing with COLA certificate of label acceptance and trying to get all this stuff, dealing with all the things that we have to do in order to make this product just to get the custom box that the box then goes in to ship out. Um, all of these elements are not fun. Um, I'll tell you, making the bottles alone was was just a, a whole like you don't see a lot of glass um, bottles in this size. Mm-hmm. Um, usually look at 375 to 750 when you're seeing a glass bottle. And I mean, I had to use like calculus to figure out the thickness of the glass to get the liquid right. And, and like all this stuff that we had to like go through. And we went through eight moles because our, our bottle makers said like, we don't make bottles this size in glass. Nobody goes less than 375. And I mean, and we finally got through the end of it. It took a year just to make custom bottles, like just yeah. a whole year just to get to that point. Um, and so that, yeah. that, that seems like a tough thing to do period, but then you kind of toss in, like you said, you're at year two or let's just say three, you know, let's just say you're at year three of this. The beginning is before COVID and, and the, the, this right. we're in one of the most unique logistical nightmares for anyone trying to build any type of thing, whether it be glass bottles or buildings or whatever, right? Like, Oh yeah. That, that in and of itself speaks volumes that like you made your way through that to here. I, I feel like there's been kismet along the way. There's these, um, yeah, there's these days where you wake up at 4am and you can't solve any of your problems. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my problem is I know all my best investors personally. Um, I am the biggest investor in terms of putting money into it. Uh, mm -hmm. Forget about the time and energy that have been put into it. Um, so, so that's kind of my psychological out. As <laughs> I tell everybody, I'm like, I'm going to lose the most. Um, and obviously I'm driven the most by it, but I care about all of my investors. They're not faceless people to me. So, um, there is an added push to that. Um, and it's a good and a bad thing, you know? Um, yeah, none of these people put their mortgage on the line or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. but, but you do carry a weight, um, in any startup, you know, most startups, um, I was looking at somebody, it wasn't related to my company at all, but somebody posted on some social media thing, like why startups fail. And it could literally just be the economy. <laughs> it could have yeah. nothing to do with anything that you're doing, right? It could be a packaging mishap. It could be, um, I mean, we had a whole thing with our bottles that I'll tell you, if you talk to anybody in craft and you want to get in deep, talk talk about enclosures, okay? Mm -hmm. Like like there's all these different, um, like I was watching Fred Minnick was talking to somebody and he just started, he kind of has no filter. And he was like, I really hate your enclosure. And he's like, you guys like, yeah, we're trying to solve that. <laughs> I'm like, I want whiskey. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, it to that, right? But, I mean, our enclosure was a whole thing. Like, just trying to get the right cap. And, you know, we got this nice metal finish going on in order to mm -hmm. not just make the aesthetics of it work, but to make it actually work with our bottles. They're two completely different components that have to work together. And you could have just a physical product problem that caused your product to fail. Um, and it could just be the market like it, you know, I think the hardest thing about what we're doing is we're doing something that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're putting these craft brands that you can't have access to um, in a box through a blind tasting. It's never been done before. So there is this learning curve where somebody's like, wait, I'm paying $50 a quarter to to get to get, you know, half a bottle of whiskey. And I'm like. Well, some of these are $150 bottles, so <laughs> there's there's that element, but there's a curation element to it. You can't get these things. Um, you know, I've seen other whiskey models that are 600 bucks for half of what we're offering. Um, and because they're making this high-end thing, I mean, look, we got we got high-end stuff going on too, but I couldn't price this in a way that pushes the middle class out of being able to buy it. Because mm -hmm. we can't say we're supporting small distilleries and small businesses and then screw over the people that probably have small businesses, you know, right. there was a component in that. So I worked really hard to get all of our costs down as much as possible. Um, and the whiskey, yeah, the whiskey's pricey because the way that it works and the way our model has to work in order to legally do it, um, we're not having anyone give their whiskey to us for free. Um I'm sure when we're huge, we can leverage that. Um, but at right. the same time, we're trying to uplift these small distillers and not um, squash them. You know, we're, we want it to be symbiotic. We want our distillers to win. We want our subscribers to win. And we want to win. I mean, even our bottle sales, if someone orders a full bottle, some of you are like, you're probably making a lot of money in bottle sales. I'm like, not really. I kind of, <laughs> we priced it the way it would be at a distillery. And mm -hmm. so when we have fulfillment partners that that fulfill these bottles, yeah, they're making more than we are. And and I was looking at our bottle sales in general. Like we did a lot of bottle sales in our first lineup. We really didn't make anything from it. And I'm okay with that. That's not really a part of our model at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Um, yeah. And, and it, it begs the question, if, if distilleries start giving you free bottles, does that impact your impartiality whenever you're kind of crafting this up? And, you know, I'll say, um, so I'd heard about Middle West before um, before that box came out that had the, the, the pumpernickel rye in it. 
that specific bottle really messed me up whenever I was tasting through it. Like I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on things. When I got to that one, I, I knew it was good. I just didn't know what it was. Like I was, I was sort of lost on that one. Um, Yeah. Then impartiality is weird because uh, we, for the most part do get set free bottles. That's, that's mm -hmm. probably the coolest thing there is. There are some people that are like, well, we don't know. We got to go find a way to get a bottle. Right. And, and if we can find a way to get a bottle, then maybe we don't want them in the lineup. So there's a little bit of that too. Um, you know, I was just in Denver and I visited, you know, four or five distilleries. I was there on a uh, trip to, to meet up with my CFO and uh, who just moved there. And I was really being a supportive friend, but I'm like, I'm going to get some business done here. Now there's a bunch of stuff at these distilleries that you couldn't get any other way. Um, right. And I'm not showing up talking to the owner. Some of them we did, but yeah, I'm buying some bottles in some capacity, uh, but most of them do send us, you know, for Middle West sent us like six things, including a bourbon cream. I mean, and mm -hmm. I got to tell you, we were torn because when we had this lineup of all these blind whiskeys that we did and we kind of threw them on all of them, they were in the top three every time. Every single one of their expressions crushed in a blind tasting um, and they were all completely different. Um, so whatever they're doing over there, they're doing it so well that I haven't had anything from them. That's bad. It's only been really good. So if you do find, forget about the pumpernickel rye. I mean, don't forget about it because it's bad. Right. But, but if you see anything middle West, wherever you are, I would buy it. I, I, <laughs> I do buy it. I just never see it. Uh, you know, I'm sure if you're in Ohio, you probably do. Um, you, and more. you see it in Kentucky too. I've got a, I've got a bottle over the, the shoulder here that I picked up. Um, Which actually, one? um, it's just their standard, uh, weeded bourbon, maybe they're weeded. Yeah. yeah. The weeded bourbon. Yeah. That's, um, that's great. That's a summer sip roll. But yeah, I had it at a, a, a tasting with a friend and, you know, you kind of touched on this of not wanting to, to, you can't price it cheap, but you don't want to price people out. And, um, you know, I started collecting whiskey with the intent of like, I'm going to have people over and do a tasting at my house. Right. And like, that's what I wanted to do. And then I had kids. And I don't know if you have kids or not, but there's like two different versions of clean that exists now. There's like everyday cleaning and there's like people are coming into your home that don't live there clean. Yeah. And like be like, oh, come over for whiskey tasting means like we have to go through all that. So when the pandemic hit, it was like a perfect opportunity for me to like, oh, fellow coworkers and friends, if you would like to join me on Zoom, I'll send you the stuff. Right. But the time that it took and this is just for a fun tasting for me, the time it took for me to craft up and then, you know, kind of parse out the the samples to the 10 people that I'm doing it for um, was significant. Right. And so like the, the, the thought that, you know, $50 being too much, it's, it's, it's really not like where else are you going to go and get an opportunity to taste four uniquely different whiskeys that were put together with intent and with a lot of effort. Um, right. you, you, you're not, you know, like you, you might be able to go into a, to some whiskey bars and they're going to have a flight put together, but likely that flight is going to be, these are all the pappies or these are all the wellers or, um, right. you yeah, know, the this Eagles, is you know, the Turkey the lineup. Or exactly. Exactly. But well, you're you not going to get this, this, the setup of craft. Go ahead. Sorry. Totally. Well, well, you know, you talk about the zoom thing and what we've had is first of all, we, we have four or five people that can split a lineup. Um, mm -hmm. There's enough in these bottles. I mean, look, I'm a big dude. I can do one of these <laughs> all myself. Not a problem. Uh, you know, uh, I like it when God lifts up on my cheeks a little bit and I get a little bit of wonderment in my eyes. But uh, you can easily share this with four or five people. Most people get it yeah. as couples. But one of the coolest things, it wasn't what we thought of originally was um, because we're in 42 states. We can ship to 42 states. So there's 
there's um, sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins mm -hmm. and friends and coworkers and people that have been disconnected from COVID and the whiskey has been connecting everybody. Um, you know, great whiskey is meant to be shared. So you can do a zoom tasting. This box isn't like, Hey, you order, you order today. It comes tomorrow. So we have a one-off box. Um, so if somebody wants to just buy a gift for somebody and uh, not do subscription, yeah, we have a box for that. Okay. But if you're a subscriber, the lineup that comes, it comes mid, mid June, uh, mid March, June, September, and December. Um, everybody's going to get that same box, which will never exist again at that same time. So it's a great way to bring everybody together over some awesome whiskey and to commit to getting together every three months instead of this kind of disjointed disconnect that we've had during COVID. Like, right. yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing tastings with all sorts of people. Um, you know, and yes, is it some of them that's supporting the company, but it's also, it's a way for me to connect with friends that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, and some family and, and even people I used to work with and all of that. So, you know, we've gotten big group tasting groups together. We're going to be doing a live tasting for this next lineup, um, mm -hmm. you know, for our subscribers, if they're going to want to come in and, um, you know, talk to the whiskey wizards or myself. And, um, if you want to ask a really, um, you know, low level question that, that, you know, you're a novice, Hey, that that's the forum for it. If you want to ask a really weird question, that's like super deep and like, how come he's getting cherry and I'm getting almond? Well, they're tied to the same receptor in the brain, but linked to a different memory. And somebody will have an answer for that. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. or, or, or maybe they don't, you know? Um, so we're going to have some of those live tastings too, but yeah, I, I think that's one of the coolest things that people are utilizing this for is I'm getting it for my dad and for myself, or I'm getting it for my mom. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's just guys, you know, 30% of whiskey drinkers are women. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people overlook women in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, our box has literally arrived right in time for Father's Day, and some people got mad about that. And they're like, what about Mother's Day? And I'm like, we backed up from Christmas, okay? We went from Christmas to September. It just happens to be Father's Day in June. I'm not like hating on. I got four sisters and two moms, and so yeah. you know what I mean? like uh, stepmom and mom. But you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then to March, so like everything was kind of mm -hmm. built around that. And we it's did the way the scheduling just happened to line out. It wasn't an intentionality to to exclude folks. And I, you know, I'll say that. The sample size is, is fantastic for me because I've gone through it twice. I went through it completely blind, obviously. And nice. then, you know, I write down what I think I've got. And then I look at it and I'm like, oh, you're stupid. You don't know anything about whiskey and this is fine. And then, you know, I, I waited a, a few days and we, you know, long enough for me to sort of remember what bottles were in there, but not the order. And I did it again, still yet kind of uh, <laughs> disappointed in my own capability. And then there's still half a bottle left. And so I can do this now with my wife, right? Like I have really? an opportunity cool. and she's not, she doesn't have a connection to whiskey that, that I do, but she enjoys tasting through it and giving her like esoteric notes of this tastes like someone's grandmother's attic after 20 <laughs> years of house being muffled. And a lot of the times it's like Grandma Judy's blanket. I knew I'd. <laughs> exactly. yeah, there was one that was just like, this sort of smells like the cleaner that they would put on the carpet um, and whenever I was a kid in church and it was like a lemon scented carpet cleaner and she's not wrong. Like that's the, like, she's, she's not wrong. She was, she was exactly right. But I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And you know, so that anyway, it'll be an opportunity. There's still enough for both of us to run through it together. Now, after I've gone through it twice myself now, obviously like I could have 
<laughs> drank a whole uh, like a whole bottle in every one of those but yeah look at um, your shots you can't lie about it right yeah <laughs> that's not that's, that's not the intent behind it either it's like you know uh, after the if i did that by the time i got to the fourth one i'm it's good that's about as far as i'm gonna get you know you might be able to pull her over you know to the to the dark side you might be able to lure her in with some yeah. of the, with the process of it you know we've had a lot of friends who um their spouse like one of my friends, um, her husband's not really a whiskey drinker. He's a tequila guy. She lured him into the whiskey world um, with the blind tasting. Um, and look, I, I like tequila too. So I mean, I'm yeah. not impartial at all. When you went through the lineup, um, I'm curious what, because we can reveal, like, if, if, if you guys missed the March box, sorry. Um, you're not mm-hmm. going to want to miss the June one. Uh, but right. if you missed the March box, like, I've already revealed some of the samples in there. Um, which which ones um, was your were your favorites? And did it change when you went through it a second time? Um, largely, it was, if I remember my order, it was B, A, C, D. And I think it stayed the same. Maybe A and B flip-flopped from the first mm. to the second. But um, the first time I tried it, uh, there was actually, I think I ended up being almost two weeks. I had two completely different work trips that occurred between the two. So I really, like, I remembered the Middle West was in there. But aside from that, I was like, I don't remember exactly what's in here because I had been to Chicago and I had been to North Carolina and I had been to like Nashville for a dance thing with my daughter. And so my brain was just like, look, it's out of memory. You're, you're, you're not in there anymore. Um, but there wasn't one that I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't buy that. And that was that was what I really, really enjoyed is that. Um, yeah, know, B I, was a surprising pleaser. I, I'm not saying surprising. So B um, comes from it's drift. They're in San Clemente. And um, my, my parents live in San Clemente. And so Ryan Winter, the owner, and literally, like, I always liked their whiskey. Um, mm-hmm. So there wasn't a thing, but it was the only one that I foisted upon my whiskey wizards. Um, and I'm like, we have to have them in the first lineup because we got to run through all this legal stuff with them. We got to beta test everything first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of it. And um, it, it, I talked to uh, f- four different people a week ago that were subscribers that were um, – you know, friends and, and they all had a different favorite. They literally mm-hmm. A, B, C, and D completely different for everybody and what they like. I mean, so it's interesting about B and A, what you mentioned, those are both younger ones. So like mm-hmm. B is a, it's a two year weed whiskey. Like they literally, they, they grow their own farm, like their family farm in Kansas and they bring their wheat back and, and they distill, he mashy mills it and everything. I mean, it's as grain to glass as you're ever going to get. Right. Um, phenomenal. Um, sample A is 10th Mountain. They're out of Vail. So Ryan Thompson, who's the head distiller, um, you know, if you ever talk to Ryan, if you ever meet him when he's down there, just a cool, like, real laid back guy, you know, mm-hmm. he, he he called me afterwards because he just loved our packaging because I sent him a box and he's like, I got to get your packaging guy. And just a really just awesome dude. And, you know, they're blending a, a, a mix of, of different age statements, actually, into one thing. Um, mm-hmm. Both really easy to drink. Yeah, Middle West. Uh, sample C, they got a place in my heart just because they're great people. Um, yep. And D is a, was an interesting one. I would say when you go through D again, um, prove it down a little bit. Okay. Um, you, not a lot. I wouldn't put a whole big ice cube on it unless you want to drink it fast. Um, but proof it down a little bit. It, it is a high proof. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you in our June lineup, we got two barrel proof ones that are coming in. Ha. Nice. And uh, I'm going to put a giant disclaimer because some people, especially novices, like this tastes like gasoline. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, the people that are hardcore drinkers are like, this is amazing. I don't want <laughs> to yeah. do this. Um, but when you proof it down a little bit, 
Obviously, it's going to make it more palatable and not taste like gasoline, but but you're going to open up some flavors from it, right? There's that educational mm-hmm. component to it. So Corbin Cash, um, the guy David Souza, um, I've actually got a case of it arriving uh, later today because um, I've got a bunch of friends that want to buy it. Um, and and it was interesting, like like they ended up in our lineup, like a friend had was doing a barrel pick of theirs. I'd never heard of them. They're like six miles north of Merced. You got to like drive through Bakersfield and almost get murdered. Um, <laughs> you know, literally, don't stop the big gas and drive straight through it. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if, if the sun's down, you're, you're definitely going to die. Um, sorry if you're in Bakersfield. Uh, and <laughs> I'm telling you, you're in the middle of nowhere. This is farmer. And, and like his last name is Sousa. And he couldn't name the whiskey after himself. And so the first day that is still started producing whiskey, um, right in the middle of it, his wife's water broke for his son, his first child. Mm-hmm. And his son's name is Corbin Cash Sousa. So he named the whiskey after his son, which is pretty badass. Um, and just one of these guys, he was making this bourbon mash to, you know, um, one of uh, the distributors was there and he was trying. He's like, what are you doing with this? He's like, I think I'm going to blend it. I'm going to blend it. He's like, dude, don't, don't blend this. Um, mm-hmm. And so he went on to make a line out of it. And they, they entered two blind tastings that had over a hundred brands in them. And it won best in show in both of them um, in a blind tasting. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Some people um, that high proof turns them off, but you know, if look, if you're tasting something that's high proof, I'm telling you, it's not the whiskey. It's that you're, you're kind of, your palate isn't there. I had somebody, that hated sample D because they started with it. Like they're like, I'm, a <laughs> I'm going with sample D like screw you and your, your mm-hmm. rules. I'm following rules. And I'm like, all right, dude, you're going to like, you know, send your palate right off the bat. And you're going to, you know, you're just going to get that wince, you know, like that first time you get listerine in your mouth and you just get that canker sore, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're opening up, you're opening up old wounds, uh, whatever that is. Um, but I mean, I've, I've become fans. I have a couple bottles of everything in our lineup. Um, mm-hmm. because I like it. Um, and I don't think, you know, I always say you're going to, you're going to like most of the things in our lineup and you're going to fall in love with one or two, you know, like in our June lineup. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a, we got an American single mall. Um, some people, um, are, I'm a scotch drinker. Um, and mm-hmm. I only drink scotch and then you, you turn them on to a bourbon. Some people are like, I only drink bourbon. I'm telling you what, in September, we're going to have a rye. And even in, in June, that, that barrel pack, I'm telling you, like mm-hmm. it'll it, it doesn't taste spicy at all. It's not your traditional rye notes at all. Um, m- most people couldn't guess what the mash bill was. Um, we've got a rye in our September lineup that I put in a blind tasting against whiskey experts, and they all thought it was a bourbon because it was it was just so delicious, and there wasn't that traditional peppery thing going on with it. Not that we won't have peppery ryes, we won't have sweet bourbons and traditional things like that. Um, but it, it we're, we're trying to surprise people um, at discovering what they like instead of going like, well, I only drink this. And I'm like, OK, like, honestly, I was never really a, an American single malt or just a scotch person. Somebody's got the Johnny Walker blue. You're going to have a glass of it. I appreciate mm-hmm. uh, smoky peated whiskey um, like the next person. Right. Well, I drink a lot of it when sitting. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. But I do like a, a little bit of it. Um, but there's American malts out there that aren't smoky at all that are mind blowing. Um, yeah and that's that's that that's where i think the i'm not a big scotch guy never was like i I, i'm born i'm in kentucky i was born in kentucky i've been raised in kentucky so you know bourbon is the whiskey that everyone has and rye is a thing we think about afterwards and then there's tennessee which has jack daniels and forget those guys Um, but but, jack uh, daniels is bourbon (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, like we can have that argument, but then yeah, somebody's going to come over cool. here and be like, "Oh, yes. you're a terrible person." I know. Uh, I know. It, it, it's the fun argument to have. But um, before I started, uh, I actually before I started your particular flight, I actually sat down and I had a, a pre-flight pour of some like old Forrester barrel proof, like a single barrel barrel proof, just because I wanted to start, like, let's start out at 130 so I can get acclimated if there is something here that is at a barrel proof. And so now I regret not like starting with D because I came off of 130 right. and then entered into those first three and then kind of ramp back up. And so I may do that next time is, you know, because I didn't think that at all. Yeah. You know, I had a buddy who, um, you know, he's straight out. He's like, I don't like D. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did it the next week. He's like, he's my favorite. And I went, Psh. you know, <laughs> I mean, some people you were ready just, for it. Yeah. And, and sometimes you're just having a bad day. There could be oh, yeah. that or you're, you know, or, or, or you, you know, it's like when you brush your teeth and then you're like before you have coffee and then you just screw up your whole thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I literally sometimes don't brush my teeth because then I want to screw up my coffee. <laughs> right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Cause you know, you might you as know? well, like if you brush your teeth before you have the coffee, just might as well go ahead and go back to bed and start the day over again. <laughs> exactly. It's like, man, I'm going back to sleep again. That there's this element to that. And it could be, you ate something. Um, there's different components, even psychologically. Um, you know, we had a podcast that did a tasting. Like we had a um, we had a, a box that went out that wasn't any of our lineups. It was a special. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything in this box was badass. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody loved it. But there was one guy in a podcast that, and you know, I know I was talking to him, and he was going through some different difficult times at the time. Um, and and he he kind of he loved the process, but he was dumping on like half of the brands that were in there that honestly are like, I mean, I thought they were all bulletproof. That's why we, we created this one-off box that they were all mm-hmm. bulletproof. And I don't know. I think that, and there's even one where he was like, I normally really like this, but I don't like this right now when it's the reveal. And I'm like, going, no, I think you like it. You just don't. <laughs> it's maybe just today. And that's, and that's just it is, you know, with, with the lineup I had, depending upon the day, any one of them could be number one. And that's what I've experienced before with whiskey is that sometimes you know, it, it's what I had for breakfast, what I had for lunch, what I had for dinner that night is going to impact what's going to be good at, you know, 8 p.m., which doesn't seem like it makes sense. But you do this enough and you find out that does have some degree of impact on it. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Absolutely. And and I, I think it's interesting when someone does the lineup um, differently. Like one thing that's interesting also about D, um, Corbin Cash, is if you actually let it sit in an open glass a half mm-hmm. hour later, it's a totally different whiskey. Now, that's always true. If you leave whiskey out long enough, it'll get weird. Um, but there is a weird, you know, is it like wine where, you know, some wine you got to open it up like 28 hours before. You got to right. decant it and whatever. There's things like that. Um, so some of the whiskeys right out of the bottle um, get better um, the more yeah. that they're sitting there. So if you're literally sipping and and the, the, there's an evolution that takes place within the glass and there's some magic thing. I don't understand the dynamics of chemically of what oxygen station is doing like what's happening um, there yeah i don't know what's happening but i loved how all the things in this lineup changed um over time and i'm excited to see what happens in june because um like i said there's some everything in there is phenomenal and i will say this um if anyone is a subscriber that's either watching or becomes a subscriber um there there is that 16 year um barrel proof rye finished in a weller barrel um that that won't exist 
um, beyond that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's only going to be, um, because we got so much of the barrel, there's only going to be maybe 60 of those bottles available. So um, I strongly <laughs> suggest um, to, to get to the tasting faster than you normally would. Because uh, right. you, you prioritize might this one. You'll never be able to get it. Um, mm-hmm. It's literally going to be unattainable. Um, it's unobtainium. Um, no, that's a light whiskey, right? <laughs> no, the cat's eye, yeah. right? You had unobtainium? I, I, I've got some over here, yeah. Yeah, it. Gene Gene over there. I've talked to Gene. That guy's a really interesting guy. Really nice guy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had the Like, we're trying to put a light whiskey in at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're, we're just... Because once again, there's an educational component to it. Um, yep. But But it's interesting how... I mean, something that, you know, just it's a totally different experience when you're drinking something that is like that high proof. Um, but, you know, like when I got into to whiskey, I'm like, well, there's there's bourbons and there's not bourbons. Right. And there's like, you know, th- there's this mindset of like, well, what is a rye and what's a weeded and what is a malt? And like I remember I was in a restaurant and um, I just overheard this woman. She ordered this set of oysters in a very particular order. And she's like, I want to start with this single malt. And then we're going to move to this. Single. Like it was like, I was, just, it was like, I was listening to like an expert order, like from American psycho or right, somebody right. pulling up their car and be like, does that bone and start sweating? Like there was a whole, like she was an expert, yep. like foodie drink order, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I used to think I'm like, how come she didn't order a double malt? Like, <laughs> like that, <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, 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 I'm with you. I would have been in the same place, uh, you know, a a dozen or more years ago. And just so everyone knows, a single malt means it was made by the same distiller in the same season and the same. So that's where the single comes from. Um, So that's that's what it means. But I'm always like going, I want two malts in mine. Give me a triple malt. (laughs) If if I mean that's, that's what we did with whiskey, right? Like if you if a single oak is good, then gotta have a double oak bourbon, right? Like that's the trend now. Just double it and it'll make it better. And then you double double oaked it. You know, some some people are double double oaking things. You know, it's a, we it's did um, out there. A buddy of mine has a liquor store, and he got uh, he did a barrel pick a whistle pig right ten year. Mm-hmm. And by fluke, what happened is because whistle pig just making so much whiskey, their ten year got put. They, they lost it. They lost the barrel for another eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but they couldn't call it their 18-year because their 18-year gets rebarreled, right? Yep. Um, and so it's an 18-year whistle pig, but it's not. In a 10-year label. In a 10-year label. So I, I I probably bought 20 of the bottles. I had probably friends that bought. I literally emptied this guy's. I'm like, dude, I'm going to tell a few people. And sure enough, we did a 10-year. We did the 10-year that was really an 18. And mm-hmm. we did the 18-year. Now I will say, the eighteen year that was rebarreled is on this whole other, right? It's, it's on this whole other level, but it was really close to the mislabel, or not really mm-hmm. mislabel the way they had to label it, and and the 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 ten year that was really eighteen was completely like blew the ten year, the real ten year out of the water. Mm-hmm. So it was this great, like we. I just want to see. I'm like, is this a story that's telling me to make me buy this? But no, I we tested it out, and we even blind tested it, and sure enough. Man, this it all was, ran out the same way. It was exquisite. <laughs> so the, the the game is is blind sampling, and I've got enough time for one more question here. I've got to uh, I've got to move to another meeting for, for work related stuff here in just a few minutes. You got work. Uh, I know. I've got to get yeah. through all these samples over here that I can't show you. Oh, what a shame! It's a terrible <laughs> it's a terrible job, but somebody's got to do it. But so each one of your 
Each one of your boxes contains four samples. You 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 get that through a blind tasting that you, that you do internally, and you've mentioned Whiskey Wizards. And so um, kind of at the last bit, like just give us the how do you get to your four samples in, in, a, in a structure where you're allowed to share it. I mean, if you got something that's proprietary in here, obviously don't don't share that, but yeah, um, you know, whatever you can give me here. So so like I'm looking over at a shelf um that I've I've created a set of samples. I mean I can go grab them if you want to just count to three seconds as you can kind of yeah. see. Yeah no that's fun. <laughs> so this is as many as I could carry in one hand. So mm -hmm. I make these 30 milliliter samples of whiskey and they all got letters on them. Now what's interesting is we've run out of letters and we've run out of numbers. So now I'm combining numbers with letters. Yep. So it's like algebra. So it's like algebra. You know, there's 50 different numbers and there's 26 different letters. So 50 times 26 is going to be, I think, 1300 or something like that. Yeah. Look at that math. Um, there's 1300 possibilities. So eventually we're going to run out of that. And so what I do is once I've talked to a distiller um, that either reached out to us, we've heard about them, we want them in our lineup. We say send them the expressions that you think we might be interested in. So sometimes they send us their whole lineup. Sometimes they only send us their flagship, which is their standard brand. Um, I make these samples and we give them to my whiskey wizards who they've been at this a lot longer than I am. But we also, I have six other people that are um, like my CFO. He's a layman. He doesn't really drink a lot of whiskey. Um, we love their input. We have people that are kind of like me. Like I kind of weigh in where I'm like in that stage where I'm at, busting out of the novice stage and everybody weighs in on what they liked. Um, now, first we were doing it where I didn't tell them what the mash bill was and that started creating problems because like right now we have a ton of malts and rise that we like and we don't have enough slots for them. Um, mm -hmm. So we're trying to kind of figure that out. Um, and ju we're just up front with the distillery and this is kind of how I don't blood on my hands. I'm like, look, my whiskey wizards are going to decide. And it's really, a, I want them to have autonomy, but they're really great at listening to everybody's input. This isn't just what they like. This is kind of the, the, the collective speaks, you know, in fact, um, 10th mountain, um, one of our investors and his brother, their tasty notes were like, taste like alcohol, um, <laughs> too alcoholy. Uh, like literally like that's like their, their tasty notes. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but when they got to, they got to 10th mountain, they're like, this is really good right now. They couldn't tell you the notes. They can tell you the proof. They didn't get into any of that stuff. And, um, and that, that held some sway in the way that we, um, looked at this, right. Um, you know, even drift, like the one that you like, that's a two year whiskey. Um, it doesn't taste like it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, 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 you put a small rock in that on a, on a summer's day. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. It's so good. It changes, it evolves, it grows. So once they get all these things in their lineup, and sometimes I'm giving them like 20 of these nice job to have. Okay. Um, they go through them and they kind of put them in the different tiers. Now they're not necessarily ranking them. They're saying, these are all awesome. These are okay. And we hated these. Right. So it's kind of more like that to keep it simple. Um, and then we kind of disseminate, we talk about it and they're not always on the same page. So for instance, the, the 16 year ride, they sent us, uh, this group, uh, this distillery sent us four samples. Um, one was a three year, one was a nine year. And, and there was a two 16 years that were in the group. Now, yeah, of course we want to get our hands on the 16 year, but the nine year was really good too. And mm -hmm. one was finished in a Ruby port barrel, 128 proof. One was finished in a Weller barrel. Now, for some reason, the Weller barrel it doesn't taste like 125 proof. It tastes like 100 proof. I don't know how that weeded barrel finish 
did that, but it's mind blowing. <laughs> and they were battling as to who should be the one. So we had to like then go to a bigger set of people and and it was like tallying like people on both sides. Like we knew we wanted them in our lineup. We we're just trying to literally pick a barrel and uh and it was a battle and it and we, we ended up driving on that one. And it'll be interesting when you go through our lineup if you'll be able to tell which one of those is the 16 year rye finish in a roller barrel. Because mm-hmm. I think you'd be surprised, like, to even say, is this a ride? Like, what is this? I know it's amazing, but, you know, like, there's – and, man, I'm tipping my hat too much about what it is. Uh, <laughs> now, once once we, we we talk to a distillery with them in our lineup, we generally know um, three to six months before they're in our lineup. Like, the, our, our September lineup, I've known two of the people that are going to be in there for a year, um, mm-hmm. mainly because we were timing up with their process a little bit. We knew we loved them. We want them in the lineup. Um, you know, they're both female distillers. Um, you know, it's funny, like we, we, sometimes people are like, Oh, are you only putting in female distillers? I'm like, no, we're blind tasting everything. We're literally not putting in, um, right. people of color or women or transgender or white. We're not doing, there's no rhyme or reason. I love any from when that group can be yeah. in the lineup, right. But our process is totally blind and how they end up in that lineup. Um, the fact that they're female distillers is great, but that hasn't, that has nothing to do with it at all. But we slotted them in a very particular spot that worked with them. And now we're building the lineup around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole process before it lands in our boxes and then it gets to you that I can't get into. Um, but that's really how we decide. And sometimes there's a distillery that, um, you know, there, there, there's a pricing element that doesn't work, um, that doesn't work with our model. We don't have anyone giving it to us for free. Um, you know, we do have some that we like that offer it at cost, which is awesome. Um because then sometimes we can get a more rarer thing in the lineup. So there's there's always this balance yeah. that's going on. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's a whole process that goes into play um, that we know what's going on at least three months in advance because we have to work through this cycle and the logistics of um, you know when when I talk to people and investors about like what goes into this and they're on the inside they're like wow, this really is complicated. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I, like, I just got 50,000 of these caps that it literally took just six months to get these caps done and that whole process. And, you know, so um, there's a lot of energy and a lot of love that goes into these boxes. Um, and uh, it, it is a great gift, but I think it's great when you can share this either with somebody in your household, like you're about to do with your wife, or mm-hmm. if you have that connection, you got that friend, family, coworker, whatever. Um, and you guys can just commit to hanging out over some badass whiskey every three months. Um, and we do have limited number of slots. Part of our the thing, it's it's not like, you know, if 2,000 people signed up tomorrow, I mean, we only have like another 150 slots for our June lineup. And we haven't even mm-hmm. really started marketing for that yet. So there is literally limited space available. Um, there is exclusivity. What's going to happen is as we get closer, yeah, we get a wait list and then, we give those people priority when we go into the next box, but mm-hmm. we have to do that because we can't sit on a bunch of inventory, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a big difference on our model. And another reason why it's not easy, but another reason why it's awesome. The, the wait listing sounds like a whole other logistical nightmare that you're going to get to try to explore <laughs> yeah. at some point in time. Yeah. And, and given the model that you're building and, you know, the kind of the, the value of what you're doing, I, I don't think you'll have any problem getting to the wait list. Uh, it's just sort of managing it. Um, like I said, I've, I've, I've got to bounce to another meeting here in just a second. So I appreciate you for being here. Um, no, thanks, John. thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Any, any other time that you want to talk, like, you know, I got through probably a third of the questions that I developed while we were talking, not to mention the ones that I already had before we even began. Um, okay. 
this is what it is for me. Like I, the only reason I do this is to be able to have these conversations. So um, you did give away a little bit about the next box, but luckily like 10 people listen to this. So you don't have to worry about too many people finding out about it. You know, um, you know those 10 people in, come on. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all 10 of them. Yeah. Um, like I said, I appreciate you for being here. I'm going to bump you out, hit my outro and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat a little bit. All right. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, if you enjoyed this, please leave me a review uh, on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. And you leave a comment if possible. Um, you can hit me up on social media, on Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. You can give me a follow, see what's going on next. I can be found also at www.embellishpod.com. All of my links, accounts, contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.